Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome back to the Ilmfeed podcast with your host Shabir Hassan. Alhamdulillah, we're back with another episode. Uh, in today's episode, we have a very special guest joining us from the States. Once again, uh, a familiar name for many of you. Uh, we have with us Mufti Munir uh, in, well, not in the building, but joining us uh, from what we call across the pond, mashallah. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome to everyone. Alhamdulillah, how are you doing, Sheikh? You okay? Alhamdulillah, I'm well. Allah's blessings are countless. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. How's everything in the... By the way, which which part of the states are you in right now? Well, I'm located in, uh, in Philadelphia. My Philadelphia. York. Yeah, I was, you know, tri-state, east coast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. MashaAllah. Yeah. Great. And um, how's everything over in the U.S.? Because obviously, like you guys have been dominating advisors for the, like, whenever you turn on the news, it's just U.S., U.S. elections, this, that, you know, and plus COVID as well going on. So it's like, correct. we can't get away, you know? Yeah, we just got a new president. And um, yeah. right now we're going through a second wave. Only Allah mm-hmm. knows what the near future holds, but we will remain patient. And um, we'll try to keep a smile on our faces as believers. Inshallah. Well, that's really important. I think um, it's difficult, isn't it, Sheikh, for, I think, especially as Muslims, as people of faith, even. Like, alhamdulillah, we have our faith to hold on to in these times. But I think even then, right, it's a, it's a struggle for a lot of people. Like, sure. one thing after the other. Can you imagine, like, yes. one trial after the other? It's, it's difficult to just hold on, you know? Like, do you, maybe I know it's not really related to, like, today's, today's uh, topic but uh, do you have any advice just generally for a lot of people listening right now they're going through this COVID thing you know a lot of other things going on in their lives like what advice would you have for them during these turbulent times inshallah well um uh please forgive me uh for forgetting to thank you for hosting me um, no problem at all it's our pleasure it's no it's an honor for me it makes me happy brings a smile to me um i ask Allah to continue to guide you brothers bless you brothers and sisters Amen. as well, okay? And to keep you all firm. To keep Amen. you firm and to keep Amen. you consistent. You have to look at the seerah of the Prophet Sallallahu There was a time which the scholars of Islam called Amul Huzn. They called it mm-hmm. the year of great sadness in which the Prophet Sallallahu was touched by many events. The passing of his wife, passing of his uncle, who Allah used to protect him and the companions, the early Muslims. And there were many other things that took place and happened as well. Um, the Messenger of Allah being rejected, made fun of, and mocked. And we all know the different stories when he went to Taif, okay, uh, and how they uh, mistreated him and disrespected him and belittled him as a prophet, okay? Yeah. Even the foolish people, they said, they, the, 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 the lowest of the low mocked and made fun of him. Not like in Mecca, where it was the noble people, okay, yeah. the heads of Quraysh, Ben Husham. But when he went to Taif, they said, you know, the servants, the children, the Sufaha. All of the, the lowest of those, they all made fun of him, threw rocks at him, and insulted him and injured him. Mm-hmm. And Allah Azzawajal, he decreed for the Prophet وسلم, to come across a patch of jinn, a group of jinn. And they listened to his recitation, and they believed in it. And they went back to their people, as Allah Azzawajal said, uh, that they turned back to the people and they were warners. So the, the point is, is that if we read the Prophet وسلم, Sirah, we'll find many instances and examples of concurrent or consecutive trials, one after another. 
okay? This one dies, this one gets sick, this happens, et cetera, et cetera. We find this. And we also find that after hardship and difficulty, ease must come. Sayyajalallahu ba'da usri yusra. Okay, verse after verse, Allah says that ease will come after difficulty, uh, and uh, the ease is going to be greater, it's going to be bigger, and it's going to be more. It's going to be more. Mm -hmm. So hard times will come. Hard times have come to those who are closer to Allah than us. All right, and like you mentioned, not just hard times, but trial after trial. And Allah, He vividly mentions this in the Quran. Hatta. Uh, uh, he says about the the the, the companions. I'm hasibtum and tadkhul jannata walamma yatikum mathlul ladina khalu min qablikum masatum al basau wa dharau wa zul zilu. Hatta yaqul al Rasul al Ayah. Allah He mentions uh, specific terms. He says masatum. The Quranic term is that hardship, hunger, famine, difficulty, fear. These things it touched them. Masatum. It touched them. It's physically on them. And the scholars of Islam and the scholars who specialize in the balagha and the eloquence of the Quran, they say Allah only mentioned it touched them and it never penetrated them. Mm. It never broke their skin, let alone uh, left a scar or a wound. It never cracked or fractured any of their bones. It never went all the way into the deep organs and arteries, but the fitna was only on the surface. So just think about these words, the hard times come, the hardships come, the difficulties come. But for the believer, the strong believer, it's going to be nothing more than a nick, a cut. And it's going to heal. The wound will seal up. And bidden that a scar will fade in time. That's what Inshallah. I Inshallah. Yeah, no, I love the fact that you brought the, the seerah into it. And I think um, that's what pretty much a lot of us have to do. You know, we have to, like, try and relate our modern day issues back to the seerah of the Prophet. Because I think a lot of times we forget that he, as a, as a man, as a messenger, uh, he went through and experienced a lot of these things, um, you know, different in nature to today, of course, but still very similar. And uh, that ties in really well, uh, you know, with what we're going to be speaking about is actually love for our Prophet in this particular day and age with many other challenges that we face um, today. Uh, but before we get into it, I just wanted to like start from the very basics, like because a lot of people may even ask, like, what is this? What, what does it mean to like love the Prophet Like, what is that concept? Why is that important to us as uh, as Muslims? So if we can start from there, inshallah, as many other inshallah discussions we're going to be having today. But yeah, let's start from like, what is love for the Prophet? What does that mean? Why is that important to us as Muslims? Clear, clear, very clear. Well, with Allah's help, I would say is that before we even get into love of the Prophet Sallallahu uh, obviously our time is limited. We need a few basic introductions. And sure. these introductions is a must. They're binding. Mm. They're binding. And the first introduction is not what you're probably thinking, the love of Allah, how to love Allah, what does it mean to love Allah, what are some of the misconceptions about loving Allah, some of the different groups of the Muslims. That's yeah. not where I want to start. Where I want to start is to just talk about love in general, period. Yeah. The concept of love, the mm. emotion of love. Now, we have to understand that love is one of, if not the strongest, but definitely in the top three, one of the strongest human emotions. It is one of the most formidable human impulses that we have been gifted or tested with, all right? Love mm -hmm. is powerful. It has always been powerful. It is powerful and it will 
always remain powerful. Now, I'm not sure about the UK, but in the United States, we have uh, a cliche or an idiom. It's a, it's, it's a famous argument and it's a famous debate. Rather, rather, my mind, light bulb just came in my head. It's older than the United States and it does start in Europe. Maybe not necessarily Britain or England, but it has its roots in Europe, feudal Europe. Uh, and it's similar to the argument of the chicken and the egg. Which one comes first? Which yeah. one is dominant? Which one is superior? And this is an argument that has been made by princes, by sovereigns, by leaders, by emperors, okay? By kings and queens. Uh, and anyone else who follows their uh, example of leadership and power and authority. And that idiom is, or that debate is, the chicken and the egg debate is, is it better as a leader to be loved or feared? Mm. What's best? They debated on this for hundreds of years in France, different empires, I'm sure in England and the United States. They differ, which is best for my people to absolutely love me, to be loyal mm. to me. They'll give their lives for, this, for the state, for me, the head of the state. They'll never betray me. Or is it best for my people to live in terror of me? And the sheer thought of my anger and my wrath and my vengeance will make the hair on their necks stand up and they won't dare double cross me. They won't dare overthrow me. They won't dare, they won't even think about revolting when they know what violence and barbaric uh, inhumane treatment I'm capable of. So some rulers, they fought and they differed. Obviously some said, I'd rather be loved than feared. And others, they said, love is temporary. People's hearts change. People trade on you. Uh, husband and wife, one day I love you. You're the best man in the world. The next day, a woman, she says, I don't love you anymore. My heart is cold. Uh, you're different. You're changed. Mm. And they said that I would always rather to be that iron-fisted ruler in which the people are afraid of. What's the purpose of this, brothers and sisters? The purpose of this is to show you the power and the strength of love universally. Mm. And some hold the view that love will give you the love and the fear for the leader. Okay? And that's because they fear breaking their own hearts by betraying you. So what's important is love is a powerful emotion, and we have to understand yeah. that. Allah has mentioned love in the Quran and Kareem so many verses, and in so many various diverse styles. There are verses in the Quran and Kareem in which Allah, the Mighty and the Most High, attributes love to himself. He describes himself as loving. And there are other verses in the Quran and Kareem which Allah attributes the love of others of him. That he is loved and people love him. Yeah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he talks about the love of the non-believers, of non-Muslims, of infidels, idolaters, polytheists, uh, Jews and Christians. He talks about how they love things and how they also claim the love of Allah. We are the loved ones of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We're God's children. And we are his loved ones. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he talks about love with regards to the companions, the Muslims of the Prophet's age and time, and things that they loved. And there are verses in which Allah Azza challenged and threatened and warned them severely for loving things more than fighting in his cause and sacrificing for his deen. So Allah the Mighty and the Most High, he tells us that he loves those who pray, uh, they purify themselves for the prayer. They keep themselves clean. Allah, he tells us he loves those who fight in his cause as if they're one solid structure, one solid row. 
Allah tells us that he loves those who place his their reliance in him and upon him. He loves those who are patient. He loves those people of Ihsan, verse after verse after verse after verse. And Allah Azzawajal, he tells us that the believers love him. They, they, they love him. Uh, and they love them, they love Allah Azzawajal more than themselves. And their love for Allah is purer and stronger and more unadulterated than the pagans' love for their idols. Allah Azzawajal, he says, and those who believe, their love for Allah is stronger for Allah, with two main interpretations. Interpretation number one being is that the believers love Allah more than the pagans love their idols. And the second interpretation is, is that the believers' love for Allah is better than the pagans' love for Allah because it's based upon Tawheed. And both interpretations are valid. Both interpretations are valid. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, he talks about wealth. How you love wealth so much and you're attached to it and connected to it. And how your love of wealth causes you to mistreat the orphan. It causes you to mistreat your slaves and servants, etc., etc., etc. Allah he talks about men in general, Muslim, Kafir, Mushrik, Arab, Persian, non, etc. He says, The man loves khair, yani man, wealth. He loves it mm. naturally. It is an innate uh, 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 internal uh, sense of man to love wealth. Okay? So there's an abundant, vivid description of love in the Quran. And we have to mm. understand that. And from that is loving the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Now think about this uh, briefly. The famous hadith of Anas radiallahu ta'ala anhu in the Sahihain, Bukhari Muslim, that the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, and we honor this hadith, uh, he said, uh, uh, he swore by Allah Azza wa Jal, uh, he says, uh, uh, he says, min walidihi Okay, oh, we have the The hadith that says that you cannot be a believer, you cannot believe until I am beloved more, and you love me more, I'm fonder to you than your wealth, your children, your parents, what nasi ajma'in in all of mankind. So, there's one version of this hadith in which Umar ibn al Khattab, عنه, he swore, he swore, and he says, he says, oh, messenger of Allah, I love you more than my mother, my father, my children, except for myself. And then the Prophet yeah. ﷺ, he said, no, not even that. That's unacceptable. That doesn't hit the mark. Not yet. You're not a bullseye, not a perfect tin yet. He says, until I am more beloved to you than your own self. And yeah. then Umar ﷺ, subhanAllah, he immediately complied. He immediately obeyed. He immediately submitted. And then that's when the Messenger of Allah said, Al-Ana, Ya Umar, he says, right now, you have hit the mark. Right now, you have achieved ultimate accuracy by stating mm -hmm. that. So the scholars of Islam and those who interpret this hadith, they say that there is a problem here. There is an inconsistency here. How is a Muslim expected to love someone that he never met? Who yeah. lived over a thousand years ago? Okay, you're in the UK. I'm in America. Okay, we've never come across the companions, let alone the Tabi'in. We never met Sheikh Hussein ibn Taymiyyah. Okay, mm. there's scholars who are living today we never met. All right, how, how are we to love them? How yeah. am I to love someone that was foreign and strange to me more than my mother who cradled me? Okay, mm. the woman went to the Prophet وسلم, in the Sunnah Nabi Dawood, the famous hadith, Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al As, and she said that she was carrying a baby. 
and she mentioned that the babies, you know, used to live in my stomach. Okay, uh, the baby's chest, uh, the baby would lay upon my chest, you know, take my breast milk. The baby was upon my hip. I, I take care of this baby. I raised this baby from day one, from scratch. And then the father divorced me without no consideration, no love. Talakani, just you're divorced. And now he wants to take my child from me. So this woman, she laid down these introductions to show that there's no relationship comparable between that of the mother and that of the father. No matter what the father does, no matter what the father provides, the baby did not live in the father's stomach. No. The baby was not on the father's hip. The baby did not drink from the father's breast. So it's incomparable. So with this being said, how can I love someone that I never met, lived over 1,400 years ago, more than my mother, more than my father, more than my grandparents, more than my children that come from me that look like me, more than my money that I've worked hard to obtain and to amass and to save up and to stack up? How is this even possible? And why? So the scholars of Islam, they say, is that if you look at Islam and Iman and all of the rewards and the blessings and Jannah and paradise and all of the, the benefits that you reap from being a Muslim, they only came to you how? How did they reach you? Except via the Prophet Wasallam and his sacrifices. If the Prophet quit on Uhud, what would have taken place? Mm -hmm. If the Prophet gave up at Badr, what would have taken place? If the Prophet... Uh, it wasn't victorious uh, on the, the Battle of the Trench. What would have taken place? If the Messenger of Allah wasn't patient upon the harm and the mockery and the humiliation and the disrespect that his people uh, hurled his way, what would have taken place? We wouldn't know about Islam in the mm. UK, in America. We would know about Islam in these different continents and parts of the world. So the Prophet Sallallahu his benefit and what he gave us and what he gifted us and what he handed to us is 10 times better and greater than what our parents have given us. And the rewards that lie await for the believers are 10 times better than any wealth that you can amass in this world mm. life. As Allah Azza wa tells in the Quran, وَرِدْوَانٌ مِّنَ اللَّهِ أَكْبَرٌ وَرَحْمَةُ رَبِّكَ خَيْرٌ مِّمَّا يَجْمَعُونَ قُلْ أَعُنَبِّكُمْ خَيْرٌ مِّنْ ذَلِكُمْ Verse after verse, Allah talks about Jannah and He says, let me give you something better. And the mercy of your Lord is better. The, the bounty of your Lord is better than all of that which they gather. So the Prophet's benefit is greater than your mother's breast milk. The Prophet's benefit is greater than your father working and sacrificing for your comfort. The Prophet's benefit, the benefit that he gave us, is greater than anything that we can do with our wealth and buy mm. and spend and make luxury and, and so on and so on and so forth. So this hadith goes perfect, perfectly in line, not with common sense or common culture, but with mm. Iman those who believe. So therefore, this yeah. is a brief glimpse into the concept of love and mm. the concept of love of Allah and the concept of loving the Prophet Sallallahu how it is mandatory. And what's yeah. meant by loving the Prophet Sallallahu is that first and foremost, you acknowledge him, that he wasn't just an ordinary man. You acknowledge his greatness and how yeah. unique he was. And you also acknowledge that he has been sent to you uh, not just for lip service and not just for something superficially on the surface, but he's been sent to you for you to believe in him. And if he tells you about the jinn, if he tells you about the angels, if he tells you about what happens when you go to sleep, when you wake up, what will take place, what will happen, then it is the truth. And you have to believe in it. Mm -hmm. And he's someone that you're to follow and to submit to. When he says no, no. When he says yes, yes. Let's look at the famous narration in Sahih Muslim, narrated by Salam ibn al-Aqwa, radiallahu anhu 
a man ate with the Prophet and he began to eat with his left hand. So the Prophet said, Kul please eat with your right hand. And the man, he says, La He says, I can't. I don't know how to eat with my right hand. And the Prophet he said to him, He says, may it be broken. May it be paralyzed. May you never be able to eat with your right hand. The narrator said, He can never raise his hand to his mouth afterwards. Wow. And just, just, just think about that now. So the Prophet is meant to be obeyed and submitted to, whether we agree, whether it makes sense according to science, politics, the majority, the non-Muslims, parliament, the president, doesn't matter. We are to submit, we are to believe, and we are to follow. And this is a manifestation of loving the Prophet Another manifestation of it and definition of it is to become angry and to become jealous and to become upset when he's disrespected and when he's violated, when he's made fun of, when people reject him, okay? And we live in a time of weakness. We live in a time in which we're scattered and shattered, divided yeah. and separated. And there are many people who just say what they want and do what they want to the Prophet And I still have my tea and coffee. I go to work, I make my money, I go home to my comfortable house. And then that's it. And that's yeah. very unfortunate. And that is a sign of weak love of the Prophet And also, the last thing that I'll mention are to understand, to understand something properly, oftentimes you have to understand the opposite of a thing. The improper understanding of it, okay? So people who go extreme with love of the Prophet or people who say that love of the Prophet is just in your heart, in your tongue, and that's it. You look at a person, how they dress, how they eat, how they sleep. Think about the hadith that I just mentioned. He said, eat with your right hand. The Prophet he said to his stepson, it wasn't his own son. He said, Ya Ghulam, Samillah, Wukul Biminika, Wukul Mimayrika. Oh, young man, say Bismillah. Eat with your right hand and eat the food that's closest to you. How many Muslims today, by Allah, I ask you, if you asked them to eat with their right hand or you reminded them to eat with their right hand, they will call you a Wahhabi or an extremist or you're focusing on this small stuff, this little stuff. The Muslims are dying here. We have to worry about politics and finances. And you bother me about eating with my right hand. And these are the same Muslims who say, Sallu ala al-Habib. We love the Prophet. Wahhabis don't love the Prophet. We celebrate the Prophet's birthday because we love him. If you say that celebrating the Prophet's birthday is an innovation, you don't love him. And they claim the love of the Prophet. They put a sticker on the back of their cars. They put a poster on their walls. They, they sing the love of the Prophet. But they can't do the simple, basic, easy things that the Prophet ﷺ commanded. And that's just an example. That's only one example in which he made dua against that man who was from the Munafiqeen. And he said, mm. That's a harsh dua. Harsh dua. There are mm. other hadiths in which the Prophet turned away from the Munafiqs. He didn't confront them. He didn't expose them. He didn't reveal them. He didn't name them. He didn't fight them. When they asked him, why, do, why don't you fight them? Why don't you kill them? They don't believe in the law. They're trying to destroy Islam. And he says, لا يحدث الناس أو لا يحدث الناس أن محمدا يقتل أصحابه He says, I don't want the people, the other tribes and the other Arabs that I'm giving da'wah to, to say that Muhammad kills his own followers. Mm. But he made dua against that munafiq for disrespecting him and not eating with the right hand. So love of the Prophet is internal and it's also external. It's also mm. mental, just as it is spiritual. Okay, so you have to acknowledge him, okay, that he's a messenger, he's a prophet, he's a human, yeah. but he was extraordinary. Mm. And it is also believing in him, and it is also following him and submitting to him. And of course, the last thing that I'll say 
is that love of the Prophet وسلم, like Iman will fluctuate from mm -hmm. person to person. Those who have more knowledge, those who have more certainty, those who read about his seerah more and come across those magnificent stories, those who sit in the books of hadith on a daily basis, their lives mm -hmm. know about that. And Allah knows best, that's condensed. Yeah, I think, uh, mashallah, there's, there's a lot of, lot of um, gems there that we can pick from just to, uh, you know, understand what the concept of love even means for a believer and then to uh, internalize that love for the Prophet So I think there's a lot of things that we could, just from what you mentioned there, Sheikh, there's a lot of things that we can pick from. Um, I think even like this whole thing about, you know, the Prophet, becoming more beloved to us than even our own selves, right? And you've kind of given like indicators of that. Like, you know, if a person was to ask themselves, okay, how do I know that? I can't really measure love. I, you know, I have my wife here, I have my car here, I have my career here. How do I know that I love the Prophet more? And I guess you've given um, some indicators of that following his way and, you know, so on and so forth. But there's one thing that you mentioned, Sheikh, which is very relevant to our time today. And that is um, how we respond to, uh, to, to hearing insults at the Prophet because we know from his actual life that he himself was insulted. He himself was mocked. He himself was, you know, even physically uh, at some points um, uh, abused, right, by, by, by certain members of, of his tribe and community. But then now, like, we're, we're living in a time now, you know, more than 1,400 years later, somebody comes and they're trying to characterize, you know, they're trying to depict him. They're trying to say certain things about him, mocking him, calling him names, et cetera, et cetera. Now, you know, what is, uh, what we could say, what's the best way to respond to that? On one hand, you could say, no, it's freedom of speech, you know, you can say whatever you feel like, it's, there's no problem with that. On the other, hand, other people, they get so fired up by it that they even resort to things like violence. They even resort to things like, you know, to, to another extreme. So what would you say is, 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 a, is, is a good approach to this situation today? Clear. Well, I, I would say, uh, first and foremost is, we have to look at the concept of mocking the Prophet Sallallahu uh, from a political aspect, a social aspect, okay, right. a social parameter. Now, if we talk about France, just an example, there are other countries, Denmark, but let's say yeah. France. So if I was the prime minister of France, if I was, hypothetically yeah. speaking, would I allow someone, a cartoonist or a director, a movie director or producer or uh, someone who writes a post to make cartoons of the prophet, mock him, uh, to uh, try to, as you mentioned, depict, depict certain things of his life, his sex life, his marriage mm -hmm. to one of his wives, so on and so forth. Would I allow someone to do this, to publicize this? And I have hundreds, thousands of Muslims of mm -hmm. Arab ancestry and non-Arab Arab ancestry alike living in France. We have so many different kingdoms and territories, post colonies that live in France, that migrate to France, whether it be yeah. Algeria, whether it be uh, uh, um, different parts, uh, other, other, other countries in Africa, and the list goes on. Far East Asia, Vietnam, places that were once colonies of France. And many of these people are Muslims, devout Muslims, practicing Muslims. Yeah. So me as a leader, as a leader, is it wise and is it smart for me to allow this type of freedom of speech. And I have so many people in my ranks, the ranks of my country that are Muslim. Is, mm. that, is, that, is, that, is that a smart idea? Or is that taking a, uh, a, a match, 
and walking within feet of a can of lighter fluid. You're asking for explosion. You're asking for things to go out of hand. Okay, now I'm gonna make an example of this, of people with regards to religion and the power of religion, like we mentioned about love. Mm. Okay, well, how we mentioned yeah. about love. All right, now let's see how we wanna take this. So, so let's, let's, let's mention an example of how people lost their lives for saying things about other people's religions that they didn't necessarily believe in. One of the most iconic groups of the 20th century are the Beatles. There's no question about that. Yeah. Beatles are synonymous with so many different things. And one of the yeah. members of the Beatles was a man whose name was John Lennon. He was a part of the Beatles, then he left the Beatles, right? And then we know that John Lennon, he lost his life in New York City. A man, a random man walked up to him and put a bullet in his chest and he killed him on the streets. Why was John Lennon shot to death? Did he shoot him because he slept with his wife? He took his money. He insulted him. They got into a car accident. Why did he die so violently? John Lennon, uh, the experts, they say that he lost his life for two reasons. Number one, when he was a part of the Beatles, he made a statement. He says that the Beatles are more known than Jesus. People know the Beatles more. They love the Beatles more than they love Jesus. And also, he made a song, a very famous song called Imagine. And what you talk about, no religions, no fighting, no race wars, people living as one. And mm. there were certain Christian zealots and fanatics that heard that song and heard what he said that the Beatles were higher than Jesus and he took it in his own hands to take his life. So what's the moral of the story? Are we talking about music, the Beatles? That's not the moral of the story. The mm. wisdom and the moral of the story is, is that as a leader, for you to allow someone to say certain things and to uh publicize certain things you're asking for violent counteraction that's the point mm. so if if a person is a non-muslim leader and you have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of mosques and muslims in your country why would you allow someone to do that and then when someone makes an act of violence whether it be an act of terrorism or other than that a violent act then we condemn them and everyone across the world has to have well red white and blue flags and make a statement for it and an apology for it. And we're sorry for what happened to the people in France and we apologize and so on and so forth. No, you're responsible for that. It's, it's unwise for a Muslim leader who has Christians living in his land to allow someone to make a public mockery of Jesus or public mm. mockery of the cross. You're asking for violence, okay? You're asking for fanaticism and fanaticism begets more fanaticism. Yeah. Violence begets more violence. So so that's first and foremost. Yeah, Second is we as Muslims, um, how we're going to uh, respond to the Prophet being mocked and made fun of, what can we do, what, mm. what we should do, is going to be a reflection of how we live. It's going to be a reflection of how we live. So in the United right. States here, when I get sick, what do I do? Do I make the ruqya? Do I supplicate to Allah? Do I pop a bottle for a pill? Who makes those pills? Or syrup? If it's too bad for, uh, it's too severe for pills and syrup, I'll go to the doctors, the clinic. Who's in the who's, mm. in, who's the doctor? Who's the dentist? Okay, my car breaks down. Where do I go to get my, my engine checked out? My alternator, my tires. Uh, what market do I shop at? Where do I buy my clothes from? Okay, if there's uh, someone uh, threatening me, who who do I call? Who protects me? Who keeps me safe? All of these questions are answered in most cases by a non-Muslim. A non-Muslim. Mm. So we live in the lands of the non-Muslims, under the protection of the non-Muslims under the guidance of the non-Muslims, under the care of the non-Muslims, now we're going to stand united against them for making fun of the Prophet, cut them off, 
boycott them. We're going to do this to them. We're going to say this. We're going to demand this. It's a bit unrealistic. Nice. It's a bit unrealistic. So it's a reflection of how we weak in a, how we live in a state of weakness and inferiority, unfortunately. So that's first and foremost. Right. So that's food for thought. Secondly, yeah. is we do have power. We do have something that we do have a responsibility. And there are things that we can do. And one of the most profound, wise quotes that I read uh, with regards to those who think that they're too small to make a, a, an impact or they're too insignificant to make a change. Uh, this man, he said that he who thinks that he is too small or too weak or too inferior to change and to, 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 to have an impact, he's never spent the night with a mosquito. Have you ever slept somewhere and a mosquito is buzzing in your ear and biting you and you put your head under the covers, you put your head under the pillow, you get too hot, and the moment you pull your head on the covers, the mosquito is back in your ear again. Yeah. They use infrared. They can see in the dark. So the mosquito, the bite annoys you. You wake up with bumps. You have red, you're itching, scratchy. The sound of the buzzing in the air annoys you. The fear and the anxiety of the mosquito biting you and buzzing in your ear, even when the mosquito is far away from you, disturbs you from sleep. Mm. So how insignificant is the mosquito? How, how soft? A mosquito is smaller than a fly. Yeah. It's a trifle. But Allah Azzawajal says that he is not shy to make an example of a mosquito or something bigger. Mm. So the Muslim, the point is, is that the Muslim, regardless of how you live, what you don't have, by Allah's permission, you do have something that you can do. There's some yeah. impact that you can make, whether that is collaborating and joining forces with others, making petitions, through boycotts, whatever you can, there is there, there is a, an impact mm. that you can have. So therefore, my answer is, is that first and foremost, we can't do anything which is against the deen. Yeah. We don't retaliate or defend with haram or batil. Mm. And that's a mistake that many Muslims, they do. They say, well, we have to do this. We have to say this. That's impermissible. Number two is that it is our job to do something. And we can't just remain silent. And that is because if the Muslims don't do something or anything, they don't say anything, they have the nerve to do it again. And mm. oftentimes, the second time, the third time, it's worse. It's worse. So therefore, uh, anything that is permissible in Islam, uh, financially or economically, politically, uh, writing, in the time of the Prophet Hassan ibn Thabit was a great poet. And the Muslims yeah. attack him. And the Prophet said, He says, Defend me, O Hassan, and Jibreel will be with you. Mm. The Holy Spirit will be with you. Ruhul Qudus if you write poetry and defend me. So the prophet didn't keep silent. Hassan ibn Thabit, he didn't keep silent. And there, uh, that was in Mecca now. Imagine in Medina, when the Muslims mm. had strength and they had power, would they allow that? So someone whom you love, someone that you cherish more than anything or anyone else, you're gonna sit back, keep silent about someone who makes fun of him, who mocks him, who makes mm. a joke out of him. If I called your mother a bad name, a disrespectful name, if I talked about the country from which your parents migrated, if I talked about your, what you look like, and you, you would become extremely irate. Your, your yeah. face would become red. You, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't just sit there patient, calm, cool, and collective. So mm. therefore, there is a balance. There is a balance. And we don't go and do something which is haram and displeasing to Allah. But at the same time, we don't sit still deaf, dumb, and blind. Mm. And we don't sit still saying that we don't have no impact. Those who do want to say something or they do want to make some type of complaint or whatever, whatever is to be done. Don't yeah. ever scorn yourself and feel that you're totally insignificant. And history has mm. taught this lesson. Yeah, no, it's that's that. Absolutely. Sheikh, are we right in saying that 
as Muslims, um, putting aside everything else, but like as Muslims, the way that we understand free freedom of speech, right, free speech, whatever it, whatever you want to call it, is that there is not really no such thing as like absolute freedom of speech because if anything, what we are, um, you know, what we follow, what we abide by, are the laws and the commandments of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, which means that. Anything that infringes on the rights of other people, anything that may offend or you know other people, anything that hurts others, we 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 shouldn't be saying that because it's prohibited, you know. And and that's the way that we kind of approach this whole freedom of speech. So we can't just go around saying whatever we feel like and then, uh, you know, um, just kind of passing it off as yeah, well, I'm allowed to say whatever I feel like saying. So is this? Would you say that's the correct way for a Muslim um, uh, to to approach this whole freedom of speech issue? Well, for sure, we live in non-Muslim lands. And yeah. these non-Muslim lands in which we live, they pride themselves with democracy. And they right. pride themselves with freedom of speech and freedom of religion. Mm -hmm. This this is one of the things that the Western countries and the Eastern countries that have been influenced, they, they pride themselves in this. Yeah. Is that we look at the Cold War, one of the most mm -hmm. influential conflicts of the 20th, 20th and 21st century, the Cold War. Yeah. Yeah. And they attacked the communists. And the first thing they said about them is that you aren't free. And you may call us capitalists, but we're free. You can do what you want, say what you want, believe in what you want without someone priding into your privacy. Mm. So therefore, we live in these lands and the rules that they make and lay down, those are those are the rules. But mm. what we believe as Muslims, what we do is a different story. So therefore, uh, freedom of speech is always relative. Yeah. Even among non-Muslims, as you said, there's no absolute freedom of speech. Mm. There are things right now may not prevent if we said on this on this app and the yeah. wrong person heard them and listened to them, we would get a phone call. We yeah. would get a knock on the door. We would get a visit. We would get, please, sir, step out of line in the airport. Is this not the case? True. It's yeah. freedom of speech. So there was a, uh, a leader, um, a dictator of a uh, Eastern uh, African country. Mm. Once he said, I won't mention his name, very infamous and famous person. Uh, one day he was asked about freedom of speech by some of his subjects. Uh, and he was well known for being very harsh and stern. And he definitely was one of the leaders who said, I'd rather be feared than loved. He said, freedom of speech. He said, freedom before speech, for sure. He said, freedom after speech. I can't guarantee you that. Mm. You're free before you speak, for sure. You're free after you speak. <laughs> I can't guarantee. Maybe, maybe not. And I think yeah. that is exactly accurate with regards to your question, is that people that claim freedom of speech, but if you say the wrong thing about the wrong person, and like we just said, speech that will incite violence, yeah, cause bloodshed and chaos, you're not free to make mm. that speech, that's not true. And how many Muslims live in France and Denmark? How many Muslims live in the UK right now? How many Muslims? Yeah, loads I was of Muslims. Three times, three times, and my jaw dropped to the ground at the amount of Muslims that I saw, wallahi, mm. and masjids and shops and bookstores and this and that, it was amazing, breathtaking. So yeah. for a Christian or Jew or Muslim to go in the street and slander this person and say this about this one is extremely reckless. And even though you have freedom of speech, it's, in, it's going to incite someone is going to take it the wrong way. And someone is mm. not going to think about it. He's not going to use wisdom. He's going to uh, retaliate the best way he, know how, he knows how. So therefore, we know as Muslims, we're responsible for what we say with our tongues, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and of course, in the lands of the Muslims in the Middle East, North Africa, uh, Indochina, Far East Asia, etc., the lands which the Muslims are, are dominated, uh, the, the lands in which the Muslims are dominant, 
um, there are many political edicts and there are many rulings that are not from Quran and Sunnah. Mm. And there are many things that are wrong against Quran and Sunnah. So just because the Middle Eastern country says no freedom of speech, that's Islam, doesn't necessarily mean that. Mm. So there's a time in Islam in which, yes, there is freedom of speech for sure. And yeah. doing the good, forbidding the evil, speaking the truth to an oppressive ruler in his face, standing up for the truth, giving da'wah, no doubt about that. And mm -hmm. no one can monopolize that freedom of speech, right? Yeah. And then there are other times in which uh, you're responsible for what you say, okay? And what you say, you have to look at the consequences. Last mm -hmm. but not least, the honor of a Muslim, slandering a Muslim, backbiting a Muslim, you're not free to say that. Uh, yes. uh, unrightfully, undutal, undu uh, yani woefully criticizing the Muslim in an improper place, you don't have the freedom of speech. But mm. we have to look at the reality that yani, what country is, is practicing Islam and governs by Islam from A to Z? So, of course, that's a long discussion with regards to those who abuse Islam when it's convenient for them. And yes. they only go against freedom of speech for their critics. Mm. And when it's not pertaining to those criticizing them, they love the kuffar, they open up the doors to the kuffar, you have major acts of uh, sin publicly, openly accessible to the people. So there's no Islam mm. when it comes to that. But they play the Islamic card when it comes to uh, freedom of speech. No, that that's the West. You can't write that in an article. So there's a balance. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah, um, on 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 just you know from this whole freedom of speech um, discussion, like I know today, uh, what's dominant is you know social media, right? Um, so a lot of Muslims using social media. I mean, we're using it right now, and there's a lot of, of course, there's a lot of hate and there's a lot of impact uh, that that inshallah that we can utilize social media uh, for. Um, but I think also freedom of speech or, you know, just coming to one of the points that you mentioned about um, backbiting, hurting, slandering, you know, abusing and so on. Like, I feel like because social media is so accessible today, it's so easy to turn on your camera today. It's so easy to type something today and send it out. It's almost like as if it's, 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 it's become easier for Muslims to, uh, of course, I mean, it's not just a Muslim problem, but of course we're focusing on Muslims is that it's so easy now to use social media to, to do harm to others, right? And to say bad things about others and to, 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 to get yourself basically in a lot of trouble, right? Um, so just what are your thoughts on, on just trying to like control this because it's become so easy to make videos and, and write things and put things out there. Um, what, what are just some piece of advice for a lot of you know, listeners and viewers today that are that are tuning into this um that is relevant to a lot of us because of social media being so dominant clear i was just asked this question uh on friday a class a lesson that i did interesting of norway yes uh we were explaining a hadith in which the prophet sallallahu told the companion mm. say i believe in allah and then be upright and steadfast and we said that the scholars of islam say that one of the most important aspects of steadfastness and uprightness is the steadfastness and uprightness of the tongue. Mm. After the heart comes the tongue. So, uh, a brother, he asked me the similar question which you just asked. And I told him that uh, social media is a ripe pasture, a breeding ground, a fertile yeah. ground for lying, slandering, backbiting, tail carrying, false fatawa, misguidance, calling yep. people calling people to sin, calling people to just the wasting of time. Now, mm. these things have always been around. 
people have lied upon Allah and his messenger years before social media. No doubt. Yeah. People have slandered before social media. People mm -hmm. have passed on gossip, what? Years before social media. But no doubt the social media as if it's some type of steroid. It's a steroid. It enhances and amplifies all of those negative vices 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 fold. Within nice. a number of seconds, you have basically sent yourself to the fire of hell. What the other than that? With your eyes, or your tongue, or your ears, or your heart. All right. So one of the scholars of the past, um, he mentioned that uh, he was talking about wealth, money, right. and the importance of money, the virtue of money, the excellence of money. Not like those who dispraise money. Money is bad. Money is evil. Money is cursed. You have to have good. Nice. Don't have money. He said no. That's incorrect. He says, but money is like a snake. It's like a serpent, a venomous snake, all right? A venomous snake. He says, the venomous snake is phenomenal. And that is because it has or contains the venom that can kill you within minutes or seconds or hours, depending on a snake, okay? And within that same snake is the antidote. Within mm -hmm. that same snake is the cure against the venom. And he says, and that's wealth. You take wealth correctly, lawfully, you spend it correctly, you save what you need to save and give for the for the cause of Allah, then you have the tiryak, the cure of the snake. As far as if you obtain the money illegally, you spend it recklessly, you save it and hoard it and amass it and stack it up and don't spend, don't give zakat, don't give sadaqah, then it's the venom. And mm. that is, to me, the exact, accurate template of social media. Use it for good is a tremendous blessing. And just look mm -hmm. now, me and you are talking. I'm in my home. I believe that you're in your home. How many thousands of miles are we away from each other? Yeah. Atlantic Ocean, huge mm. body of water. COVID pandemic. I, I haven't traveled to the UK in how long now? Mm. And we're talking and benefiting. I'm learning from you, listening to you, so on and so forth. So social media is a tremendous benefit. You can mm. learn about Allah's earth, history, science, math. You, uh, a person who doesn't know how to cook can, can learn how to cook. A brother who can't cook, a sister who can't cook, she's not a good housewife, she can become a good housewife from social media. There's no question about that. And at mm. the same time, social media can be uh, a horrible, horrible, venomous viper. And if it one small tap of those fangs, not a huge bite, the, all the snake does is tap you. And that venom goes into your system. And there's some types of venom and some things that Nine out of ten times will never leave. And from that is the addiction to gossip and the addiction to lying and slandering and backbiting and how the shaitan makes fun of us and mocks us and plays with us is that we slander and we backbite people in the name of Islam. Mm. Rather, in the name of the purest strand of Islam. This is the way of the salaf. Mm. And I'm slandering and attacking the honor of a Muslim. Shaitan is having a big, he's having a great time. So it's very mm. dangerous. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Very, very dangerous. And um, I want to um, just bring it back now, just since we're coming towards the end, uh, from what we basically started with, which is the, the love of the Prophet Um And, you know, we've already spoken about what love means and, you know, how, how that may reflect on an individual as a, as a believer um, but I wanted to end with on a more kind of practical note, and that was, you know, let's say we've reflected now and we've kind of like thought to ourselves, well, you know, 
like maybe I don't love the Prophet enough. Maybe I don't love him as much as I thought I did. Uh, or, you know, maybe I'm still quite far. I'm struggling in that sense, which is like, like you said, it fluctuates, right? And from individual to individual, you can't, we can't all be on that high um, all the time. Um, so what would you say is uh, some practical ways and tips for us to increase in our love for the Prophet Uh You've mentioned hadith, for example, right? Which is one way. So, so please enlighten us on, on that sense. Well, I would, I would mention another example. Yeah. Something that's tangible, and that is the concept of marriage. Or not even marriage. Okay. Uh, people who date boyfriend and girlfriend. Okay. Mm -hmm. how, how, okay. What's the first thing that you do? People, something that they seek. They seek true love in life. And oftentimes in movies and dramas and soap operas, they talk about love at first sight, right? It was love at first sight. Love yeah. at first sight. You had to look at her. You had to look at him. The Prophet when he was told by his companion that he had uh, placed intentions on a woman, what did he tell him? He says, Undur ilayha. He says, look at her. Mm. So in order to come across someone's beauty, and beauty is a major key step in love, you have mm -hmm. to physically what? You have to look. So yeah. if you want to love the Prophet, and you feel that you don't love him enough or your love is inconsistent or is a con conflict or contradiction, etc. You have to look at the prophet. And how do you look at the prophet? How long ago did he leave this world? How long ago did the campaigns leave this world? Yeah. Well, when you open up the Sira books, when you open up Bukhari, when you open up these books as if you're what? Mm. You're looking at the prophet. And when you look at the prophet, it lies no doubt within a minute, five minutes, 10 minutes, you're going to see his beauty. His moral beauty, his physical beauty. You're going to see the beauty of his life, the beauty of his message. You're going to see the beauty of, of, of what Allah gave him. And that is a key ingredient, one of the most key ingredients of allowing the love to fall into your heart and to mm -hmm. take a place, hopefully, never ever to be removed. So it's a very simple equation. In order for you to fall in love with a woman, a big part of that is doing what? Looking at her, look, yeah. her looking at you. And then you come across her beauty, her charm. And the beauty and the charm is oftentimes translated into love. So we have one, two, three. You have to come across the beauty of the Prophet, and he was a beautiful man, the most beautiful man, inwardly and outwardly. How many hadiths? The hadith in which the Bedouin man grabbed his collar and started choking him. And it left a mark upon his neck. And he said, give me the wealth that Allah has given you. This, look how disrespectful that is. He didn't say, give me charity. Please mm. give me sadaqah. Give me from what Allah has given you. In other words, you're nothing more than, than the middleman between me and Allah. Give, give me the money. And the Prophet, وسلم, what did he do? Did he curse the man? Did he headbutt the man? Did he spit at the man? Did he withdraw a dagger or sword against the man? No. He smiled. And he told the companions to what? Give him some wealth. Give him some charity. That's beauty. Mm. There's no question about that. When the Prophet was lying, uh, he was laying beneath a tree, okay? Uh, and the man came up, a mushrik man, and he grabbed the Prophet's sword. The sword was, was, being, uh -huh. was, was suspended. He took the sword uh -huh. and he withdrew it from the scabbard. And he said, who protects you from me, O Muhammad? Who can stop you from me cutting you and hacking you with this sword? He said, no one but Allah. And the sword fell down from the man's hand. And then he asked the man, now who will protect you against me? 
And the man didn't believe. He didn't believe. He didn't accept Islam. Mm -hmm. He says, I swear and I promise I'll never fight you, O Muhammad. I'll, we won't, we won't meet, meet on the battlefield. You have my word that I won't be your enemy. Look, that's beauty. That's sheer beauty. He, well, look, look what he did. To, he didn't kill the man. He didn't take revenge against the man. And there's hadith after hadith after hadith, which clearly shines light upon the beauty of the Prophet. Awesome. But if my books behind me are just sitting there, they're beautiful and pretty. They look gold and there's no it's dust on them. I can't come across the beauty. Mm -hmm. So therefore, we have to look. We have to read. We have to listen to the lectures about Sirah. And very important thing is, of course, Sirah is important, but the prophet's life is much more than just the Sirah. Mm -hmm. When you read books of fiqh, in actuality, that's also Sirah. When you read Sirah, it's actually studying fiqh. Tafsir mm -hmm. is all connected. So you can't just say, I'm only going to find the beauty of the prophet in the seed of books. No, you read the books that talk about the rulings as well. The books that talk mm. about Aqidah as well. The books that talk about Tafsir as well. And you come across the prophet Wasallam's stellar beauty. And hopefully mm. the last and final step is that beauty translating into penetrating, piercing love into your heart. That's number mm. one. Number two, from the practical ways of obtaining love of the prophet Wasallam, is to realize the reward for it. Mm. blessing of it and the prophet sallam, he was asked by another bedouin man uh, in another beautiful hadith the bedouin man came with a loud voice a clear voice uh they could barely hear what he was saying and he got close and the, the bedouin man as if he was depressed or sad and he said Al he says that a man loves the people but he doesn't reach them and he's not with them and the Prophet وسلم, said, Al judgment, a man will be with whom he loved. So from the practical ways of obtaining the Prophet's love is to learn the reward of it. Drinking from his pond, being under his banner, hopefully obtaining his intercession. Okay, seeing the Messenger of Allah. Imagine seeing the Prophet وسلم, being with him. Imagine that. So and that, that's only going to take place by those who love him. So oftentimes we say you have to keep your eyes on the prize. <laughs> You have to keep your yes. eyes on the prize. So you have to remind yourself of the rewards and the virtues of loving the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Last but not least, uh, another, the last but the third practical step is to realize that it's not a choice. You can't pra practice Islam properly without the Prophet. Mm. You can't understand the Quran without the Prophet. Those who say yeah. we don't believe in the Quran, we don't believe in the Hadith, they are not Muslims. They are not Muslims. They mm. have rejected the Quran. And that is because how can I be a Muslim and I don't have anything from the Prophet's guidance? And if the Prophet gave me guidance and he taught me guidance, then it is my duty to love him. Mm. It's, it's, I have to repay him. I have to give him back what he gave me. All right. And of course, looking socially and politically, why are people continually talking about this man, Muhammad? Why is he so important? Why does he cause so much stress and distress in the world today? And Europe and this country and that country, except that he left a huge crater in the earth, an impact. Mm -hmm. And that his message was that profound. And if it wasn't, they wouldn't be talking about him over a thousand years ago. How many people came and went after a thousand years? 1,400 years ago. How many people? Barely yeah. mention. They barely talk about him. He's in the news every day. They're making fun of him. They're talking about him, showing you that something is special about this man. And there's a mm -hmm. practical way of you loving him. And that's because. Oftentimes, people's plans, they backfire. 
as Allah Azza wa Jalla mentioned in the Quran, is that an evil plot only backfires against his own people. An evil plot only backfires those who make mm. the plot. So here in America in 9-11, I was in high school when those uh, attacks took place in New York City and other parts of the United States. Yeah. And it was chaos. Okay, mm. I'm sure you guys, you know, had an it had an effect on you in America or something, but in I'm in the UK, but in America it was, it was yeah. chaos. It was chaos. Things were topsy turvy. People were afraid. People were scared. People didn't know what to do. It was all types of uh, retaliations against Muslims and non-Muslims alike. Yeah. One day there was a Sikh cab driver. He was uh, driving someone in New York City, and there was uh, an American Christian who stabbed the Sikh in the neck, stabbed him with a knife. And he and he thought that the Sikh was a Muslim because he had a big beard and a turban. Uh. Okay, so there were countless things, countless things that took place as repercussions. Wars, Afghanistan, Iraq. How many people lost their lives because of 9-11, right? Okay. Mm. So if you just think about that now, uh, who's who was behind 9-11? Were there Muslim terrorists, extremists, people here? Was it the United States? Was it this person? There are different theories. Of who mm -hmm. made those attacks? Different theories. That Muslims and non-Muslims have alike. One thing's for sure: countless people lost their lives. Yeah. Now, one of the theories is, is that there were people who turned 9/11, or they made 9/11 to be a smear campaign against Islam and against the Muslims, and to call people away from embracing the religion, and to reduce the numbers of growing reverts to Islam, etc. But if you look at the statistics, if that is a, if that's the correct theory, Allah Alam, but you look at the statistics, yeah. those who Googled Islam, those who went to Barnes and Nobles and bought books about Islam, those who went to the local preacher and pastor about Islam and asked about Islam and converted to Islam or reverted to Islam, huge number of people. So the backfire of the plot, okay? So for this man to be mentioned and spoken about and talked about and debated about, it shows you that his message had to be something special. So mm. oftentimes people that are warned from a thing, this is my point, they fall in love with a thing through trying to destroy a thing. People mm. that are trying to ruin someone and frame someone, the next thing you know, they fall in love with that person because it allows them to do what? To see their what? Their beauty. Mm. So this, these are ways of obtaining love of the process to realize why he's spoken about so much. And Allah knows best. Mm -hmm. Honestly, uh, those are really good practical points, uh, I think, which uh, which is perfect for us to, to end off with. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, time does not permit. There's so many other things that it would be great to, to discuss perhaps another time, inshallah. But uh, I think um, in terms of the, the, the practical things that we can take away from today, just understanding what it means to love the Prophet how we can love the, the Prophet some some practical kind of things that towards the end, I think, inshallah, just... Uh, in, in those things, I think there's a lot of things for us that we can, inshallah, reflect on and hopefully try to inculcate and bring into to our lives. So once again, Sheikh uh, Mufti Munir, thank you so much for joining us. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. I myself have benefited. So, no. Barakallah fikum. May Allah bless you. And inshallah. Everyone there, inshallah. Yeah, yeah, of course. Inshallah. Yeah, yeah. And I was going to say, you know, like as soon as this, this pandemic, inshallah, is over, you're back in the UK. You know where to come, inshallah. It'll be an honor to host you in the actual exactly. studio and to meet you, exactly. inshallah.
Thank you so much. And to our uh, listeners and viewers, thank you once again for tuning in to this episode. Uh, hopefully you've all benefited. Um, let us know how it went in the comments. And inshallah, we'll see you um, on another podcast very, very soon. From myself, Shabir, from Mufti Munir, take care of yourselves. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.